Hi there, and welcome to the Ones to Watch podcast. Here we discuss exciting technology companies with their founders and CEOs leading their industries, going deep on strategy, success, and their plans for future industry disruption and domination. I'm Paul Quatricasas, founder and CEO of Aqua Partners and creator of the Ones to Watch podcast. Stay on after the show, and we'll share with you how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing podcasts in our industry. With that, let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another incredible episode of The Ones to Watch, brought to you by Aqua Partners. And of course, I am your host, Rye Russell, and I am always so excited to meet the entrepreneurs that join us. They are working on amazing problems, helping move the world forward. And of course, our next entrepreneur is a superstar in no exception. Komal, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So the first question I'm always so curious to ask the entrepreneurs that join us here on this show is, what was your journey? What did this look like? Because I believe that probably you didn't wake up one day at university and say, this is where I'm going to be in my life. And so I'm so fascinated to hear about those processes. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, candidly, it's actually very surreal for me to be here. Um, And I wasn't even supposed to be here. Let me explain, you know, as the only daughter of South Asian immigrant parents, um, I had four very distinct career options laid out for me from an early age, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or complete failure. Well, I always wanted to be a Bollywood actress. Uh, As you now know, I ended up doing something far more realistic, like solving world hunger. (laughs) And so... My journey began when I was a senior at UC Berkeley, and I'm a few months away from commissioning as an officer in the United States Navy. And so I'm walking down Telegraph Avenue when I encountered a homeless man who was begging for food. You know, most people beg for money, but he was begging for food. And so that really compelled me to stop and invite him to join me for lunch. And during lunch, he sat across from me, just wolfing down his food. So he was unbelievably hungry wasn't a ploy for anything else. And in between bites, he shared a story. He said, my name is John. I just came back from my second tour in Iraq. I've been waiting weeks for my military benefits to kick in. And because they have it, you know, I haven't eaten in three days. And this really hit home for me. I mean, this is a veteran, someone who had given the most selfless sacrifice for our country only to come home to face yet another battle, that of hunger. And then adding insult to injury right across the street, Berkeley's dining hall is throwing away thousands of pounds of perfectly edible food. And so in that brief moment, I witnessed the stark reality of food being thrown away on one side of the street and people starving on the other. And, you know, growing up, Perhaps like some of your listeners, I was reminded by my dad, hey, Komal, don't throw away your food. People are starving in Pakistan. So well-intentioned and true, what I realized after my lunch with John was that hunger is prevalent, not just in the poorest nations in the world, but in some of the wealthiest ones. I mean, even here in Silicon Valley, one in four don't know where their next meal is coming from. Wow. Meanwhile, 
over 365 million pounds of perfectly edible food are wasted every single day. And to wrap your head around that number, if you imagine the world's largest football stadium filled to its absolute brim, not with last night's pad thai or this morning's hacking croissant, but untouched, unopened, perfectly edible food. That's how much food goes wasted every single day in America. And this costs us over $218 billion every year. And if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of methane after the U.S. and China. Well, there's a massive economic cost. There's a huge environmental impact. Not to mention, there's over 50 million Americans that go hungry every single day. So how is it that in a world with so much wealth, so much technology, innovation, and abundance, so many people still go hungry? My company, Copia, deems hunger the world's dumbest problem. Because we know that it is not a lack of food that's the issue. Rather, it's an ineffective distribution of that food. Meaning that hunger is not a scarcity problem. It's a logistics problem. And resolving the disparity between excess food and access to food has become my life's mission and copious purpose. And so we've built a technology platform and a for-profit, for-good business that solves both hunger and food waste across America and eventually across the world. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That is incredible. And I really appreciate your story about your father, because I remember sitting at the kitchen table when I was a child and my grandmother saying there are starving boys and girls in Africa that would love that. And I was always so fascinated and pondered by if that's the problem and you're telling me that this is the solution why isn't it going there? And so we can all relate to that. We've all heard some semblance of that. And so I'm fascinated. You're on the campus of birth. Like you saw this happen Mm -hmm. and then something else happened. So I would love to hear how you saw this and then put it into motion. Sure. Yeah. After my conversation with John, the veteran, I marched up to our dining hall managers and I asked them, now, what do you do with your excess food? And they said, well, we try not to have any. And I said, well, how often does that work out for you? And after a lot of pushing and prodding, they finally admitted that they do have a lot of excess food, but they have to throw it away. And so I asked the obvious question, why would you throw it away when you could go literally right across the street and donate it? And they said, because of liability issues, we don't do that. This was ridiculous. I mean, like, John, the veteran, doesn't have a high-powered attorney standing by just to sue you. Like, if he can't afford a hamburger, how is he going to afford a litigator? And more than that, you were going to sell this food to us 10 minutes ago at full price. So you're saying 10 minutes ago it was good enough for Berkeley students, and now 10 minutes later it's not good enough to feed people who are actually in need right across the street? Like, where is the logic? 
And naturally, I wasn't going to accept this answer. So I did my own research and I discovered that in 1996, Congress passed what is called the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act. And, and this act protects all donors and corporations from any liability when they're donating their food. In fact, in the past 24, 25 years, the number of lawsuits or legal claims that have been filed against any business or individual has been zero. But literally, everyone and their mother has like a second, like a second cousin, twice removes uncle's hotel that shut down because they donated food, when in fact that never happened. And so I printed all of this out. I took it to the executive director of our dining hall and I said, you know, I want to start this food donation program. This is the right thing to do. Here's all the protection. You know, I can be pretty persuasive when I need to be. And uh, so in less than 10 minutes, he agreed. And we went off to start one of the nation's first food recovery organizations on a college campus, which was essentially students picking up food from our dining halls, our on-campus events, our stadium, our arena, and then redistributing it to local nonprofits. Great start. Hugely inefficient. I uh, vividly remember one day our dining hall manager calling me uh, when I was in class and he's like, hey, Kilmul, no one came to this event. So we have 500 gourmet sandwiches left over. They need to be picked up in two hours. Otherwise, we're going to have to throw them away because we need the fridge space. So do you want them? I'm like, yeah, I want them. He's like, great. Come get it. You have two hours. Mind you, I'm still sitting in class. And so I grab my bag. I dash across campus. I jump into a zip car. I go through all these one-way streets of poor loading dock. And I begin loading this food into the trunk of my car. And it's perishable food, right? So it has to move incredibly quickly. So I'm blasting the AC while I frantically try to get these sandwiches in the trunk. And I finally do when I slam the trunk and I'm like, thank God, this is amazing food. Of course, there's going to be nonprofits that want it. And so then I proceed to call 30 plus nonprofits in Berkeley, in Oakland, even as far as Richmond. I'm like, hey, I have this amazing food, could use it. Hey, I have 500 gourmet sandwiches I can deliver to you for free. Do you need them? A third of them don't answer the phone. A third of them say, nah, we're okay. We don't need any more food today. And then the last third are like, actually, you know what? We could use 10 sandwiches or 15 sandwiches. I'm like, great. Now I have 485 sandwiches. <laughs> and I swear I was like summoning my inner South Asian grandmother. I'm like, hey, you, you look so skinny. Take this food, take it, eat it. Just like totally. random people on the street. Totally. And I just knew I needed a better way to solve this problem. Um. And, and it was it was me, frankly, pulled over to the side of the road, so frustrated, thinking, you know, why is it so hard to do a good thing? Why is it so hard to do the right thing? And where are all these hungry people at? Except one in four, well, where are they when I have this amazing food to give them? And it was this frustration that was essentially the birth of my inspiration. And I thought, how much more efficient, how much more effective all of this would be if those who had food could say, hey, we have food. And those in need of food could say, hey, we could use that food. And we match these two people, clear the marketplace, and solve a real problem for both of them. 
So essentially like a match.com for sandwiches, um, you know, matching food donors with nonprofits and need to clear the marketplace and instantly create value for both parties. A win win. It was, it was really just that simple. Beautiful. I, you know, the friction between doing a good thing and actually being able to execute blows my mind. And I know I'm not alone with this. And I don't want to gloss over a couple of things here, Kumal. First of all, it's just a beautiful story because I think just about all of us in this space had some sort of direction our life was supposed to go. And we've made a choice on the direction that it's actually gone. And that is a hard choice to make. So thank you for that inspiration, because I know there's individuals that are saying, wow, I thought I was supposed to be an engineer. And now you know that you can still save the world and still have those processes and mindsets. So that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. The second thing, we, of course, you know, like just that familiarity and being in that space of being a kid and being told that there's a problem over there and you can solve it with your plate and the inefficiency of that not being true, of not being able to solve that painlessly. And I love that you are in class and you saw that window of opportunity. You saw it close. You packed your bags and you made it happen to have more friction, to have more no's and you're trying to give something away. And so for free. So I'm fascinated. Now that you created the framework, you found sources of, of food, you created the platform. Tell me about some of the other friction that you experienced in that process. Yeah, sure. I mean, just to kind of dig deeper on, on what it is that Kofi has built, you know, so of please. For a simple idea, but it was anything but simple to build. But it's exactly what we built at Copia. So for the first time ever, all commercial kitchens and businesses can easily and effectively redistribute any of their excess edible food to those who need it most. So the technology that that the company has built um, makes this process easier, smarter, faster than ever before um, with web and mobile platforms that allow you to easily request pickups of your excess food, have it matched, and then safely delivered to nonprofits in need with a nationwide um, average delivery time of 26 minutes or less. Amazing. Oh, really quick. So how does it work for nonprofits, right? Um, so nonprofits create profiles. So they'll say, this is who we are. This is what we're looking for. Kind of like dating profiles, except they don't lie to us about how many times they go to the gym. <laughs> um, they'll say, you know, we want prepared, packaged, ready-to-go food because we don't have a kitchen. Or we want uncooked meat, uncooked produce because we have to cook everything in-house. Or because I'm in San Francisco and people are super fancy, they're like, I only want gluten-free vegan food. I'm like, of course you do. Um, but they'll say, this is what our refrigeration capacity is. This is what our freezer capacity is. These are the best points of um, contact. And they can update this information in real time. And it's then stored in this virtual marketplace. Um, and we have um, details, specific details on need uh, for over 1,200 plus nonprofits across the United States and Canada. 
And so our, our system automatically dispatches the driver to pick up all of that food and deliver it safely to the nonprofit. Upon receiving the food, the nonprofit signs a tax deduction receipt that we've automated and digitized. So they'll also be able to send back photos and testimonials of the people that were fed. So we can all see the impact, the amazing impact that was created um, by the food donor and the impact that they, he or she had directly, the business had directly in the community in which they live, work and play. And so, so that's one side of the marketplace. The other side is the, the food businesses. So we partner with a lot of innovative and forward thinking businesses um, across all industries. So food businesses like Whole Foods and Cheesecake Factory, healthcare facilities like Stanford Hospital, Sutter Health, UCSF, um, to, you know, arenas like Levi's Stadium, the home of the San Francisco 49ers, um, and leading corporations like Bloomberg, Cisco, Intel. So we've essentially become the go-to food waste management solution for large businesses and enterprises with thousands of locations nationally. So what's unique about Copia is we're not a nonprofit. We are a for-profit company that has built proprietary technology to solve both hunger and food waste at scale. Um, and so we are conscious capitalists proving to the world that you can both do good and do well. And those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. So the way that Copia makes money is, I mean, and just, just to, to pause right there, I remember when I was starting this company, I mean, and the idea of taking leftover food and giving it to poor people and somehow making money out of that was just like inconceivable. I remember my dad saying, when, when we thought it was going to be a nonprofit, and he was like, Komal, you know what nonprofit means? I was like, what? He goes, no profit. Why did you go to Berkeley? Why did we come here? Now you want to live, we took you out of poverty. Now you want to go live in poverty. Like, what is the point? So I had to think long and hard about, about this, but it wasn't obvious at the beginning. And frankly, like I say this to my team too, I thought about at the beginning, how are we going to take, how are we going to make money from taking excess food, a leftover food and giving it to poor people? I don't think that we would have come this far. I don't even know if I would have started. So that wasn't the most important point, but I am incredibly grateful that we were able to get to that point where we were able to figure out how to make money. And so these companies, these businesses pay Copia an annual subscription fee because we improve their bottom line. Full stop. You know, of course they love us because we safely recover and redistribute their leftover food. We help them save money, not only because we enable them to do the right thing by helping them safely and easily get rid of their excess food, but also because we help them do the right thing for their community by saving them tens of thousands, millions of dollars uh, in tax savings and reduced hauling fees in the process. Um, the biggest victory for the businesses that we work with, uh, that we work with, as well as our planet, frankly, is when we help businesses reduce and prevent food waste. Um, so prevent future food waste. And so that's why we've expanded over the past few years, we've expanded our focus from food donation to food waste prevention. We know that what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed. And so that's why our data offering has become so critical. So we're now using machine learning to develop predictive, to provide predictive analytics and real-time demand forecasting to help companies reduce over-purchasing and over-production. So our detailed analytics 
dashboard provides insight as to what is being wasted and why does surplus peak on Mondays or on Fridays? Is it the chicken tikka masala or the ravioli? Is it raining outside so employees can commute to work or fans then go to a game? What is the total value of the edible or inedible food that's wasted? Plus, you're going to receive instant notifications when surplus spikes so that you can make changes in real time. So it's these type of analytics and insights that have enabled, you know, one of the largest healthcare systems in California to reduce their surplus by over 20%, which saved them over $31,000 in just six months. That's one hospital, $31,000 in six months. Um, and even still, they have about 120 pounds of food left over every day. So even with our data analytics offering, like they've been able to reduce their surplus, but they still have enough food left over every day to feed about 100 people. So, you know, we we use this data to help our food businesses further capitalize on their food donations. Um and so, you know, speaking to the tax deduction, you know, side of things, um, just to get into tax law, because that's super interesting. <laughs> in uh, 2015, Congress passed what is called the PATH Act. And it used to be that only C-Corps could get enhanced tax donations for their, um, but it was only C-Corps that could get enhanced tax deductions for their food donations. Now it's S-Corps and LLCs. So all food businesses. It used to be that you could only write off 10% of your net income for donation. Now it's up to 30% with that delta of you know, 20 specifically for food donations. And let's say your business is unprofitable or it's hit that threshold. You can carry that forward for five additional years. So it makes financial sense for you to do the right thing. And so even though Copia is a for-profit company, the end recipient of food donations are always registered 501c3 nonprofits, which means that food donations are fully tax deductible. And so we've created this IRS compliant platform that enables businesses to receive tens of thousands to again, millions of dollars in tax savings in a seamless, secure and audit proof fashion. Um, and, and data is huge for me, um, which is why we have created a real-time um, environmental and impact dashboard as well, so that our customers can access 24-7 and they can see at a glance, like, how many people did they feed? Where did this food go? What was their uh, methane conserved um, or methane diverted? How much water have they conserved? Um, how many nonprofits have they served? Um you know, this is all to say that Copia is more than just feeding the hungry. We want to save businesses money as we help them save the world. So we're like Wonder Woman if she also had a degree in corporate accounting. I love that. That's so powerful. I mean, the systems that you put into play there, really for the nonprofit and for the for-profit entities and connect them in a streamlined way where the, that friction, right? That friction I asked you about, like you've removed it. Like Copia is so much more than that platform, than that system. Yeah. And I love the way that, that you brought that together at the end. Thank you so much. That's just so relatable. Is that 
all of that friction is solved by reducing the friction around the money, which of course is a friction point and a resource. So that is just incredible. And now for the members of the audience, whether there are for-profit entities or not-for-profit entities needing food, what is the best way for those companies to connect with you? And for those that just want to follow you and stay connected on this journey, what is the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're a business or a nonprofit that wants to sign up, definitely go to www.gocopia.com. Uh, and that's C-O-P-I-A. Uh, if you want to follow me, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I'm on all the platforms. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn, and definitely drop me a note. Um, I'm always interested in collaborations. And, you know, I, um, as I also think about how do I want to make this vision bigger, um, which seems kind of crazy to say, right? Which is like, how do you make solving world hunger bigger? But as I also think about the the next company that I want to start and the next um, kind of iteration that I want to take, just you know, really speaking quickly to it, like the scalability of our technology and frankly, our entire model was put to the test when Copia was the first responder to one of the worst natural disasters in California history. So before FEMA, before Salvation Army, before American Red Cross could even mobilize, Copia was on the ground providing food for tens of thousands of fire evacuees, 500 members of our National Guard, as well as our first responders. And through our partnership with SF Fights Fire, we were able to provide over 34,000 meals in the first two weeks of the North Bay fires. And so what this showed me is that now, like, the technical infrastructure we've engineered and wrote, like, what, what this showed me is that the potential for Copia is beyond just redistributing food. That being said, I, I know how critical it is for a startup to have focus. And so when I think about even how I want to grow this mission, you know, I've realized food after all is the most perishable resource there is, right? It's the most difficult thing to move. It's the thing that needs to move the quickest. But now that I have experience building the right technology, the right types of algorithms, the logistics partners to enable this redistribution, I can build another company that helps redistribute medicine, medical supplies, books, clothing, technology, eyeglasses, because it's not a lack of any of these resources. It's just an ineffective distribution of those resources. And so though I want Copia to stay focused on, on food waste elimination, food waste prevention, and food donation, I also want to create a platform that will become the world's most intelligent and effective platform for the redistribution of surplus resources, period. I personally just started with the hardest one first. And so as I kind of continue to build upon that idea, I'm definitely looking for people to collaborate with because I, food is the first thing, but this I mean, especially through COVID, you see after disaster after disaster, what people need after California wildfires was different than what people needed in the hurricanes in Texas. And so that that's that's one part. The other part is like, I realized, like had I never reached out to that veteran John, had I never looked up for my iPhone, had I never unplugged from my own reality, Copia would not exist. You know, that day I fed one man. Because of his story, this year, Copia will feed over 5 million people. And that is the power of entrepreneurship. 
that is like I spoke earlier how I was going to be a doctor in the U.S. Navy because I thought that was the only way you could help people. And what I've realized is that by being an entrepreneur or supporting an entrepreneur, you can impact lives, millions to hundreds of millions of lives. And that's what I want both Copia as well as the next company companies I build um, to do. Amazing. And that is what we are all about here on The Ones to Watch. We're always so excited uh, for all of these journeys and they're just getting started. And so just thank you again so much for being here with me and, and sharing this. And so for all of you tuning in, be sure to head over to GoCopia, connect with Comal and just collaborate. There's so much here and there's so much opportunity and it's so beautiful. So thanks to all of you for tuning in and and Como, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure of mine. True honor. Thank you. And we will see you all on the next episode of The Ones to Watch brought to you by Aqua Partners. I've been your host, Rye Russell. We'll see you in the next show. for listening to the ones to watch podcast if you're interested in sharing your company's story and joining us as a guest on the show please visit www.aquapartners.com slash podcast slash apply if you liked what you heard please also visit me and my firm aqua partners on linkedin and connect we're always keen to expand our networks and engage with like-minded individuals also please subscribe to our show on apple podcasts Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Once again, I'm Paul Quatracasas. Thanks for listening to the Ones to Watch podcast.